Let's open our Bibles to the book of Luke. We're going to talk about that amazing God, that, that God that does great and mighty things. And the, we're going to talk about that time that shook the world. Just for the record, we don't have to wait to December to talk about the birth of Jesus. You might notice sometimes in summer we'll talk about it, sometimes in spring. Most of you in the room know that Jesus was not born in December. I mean, that's probably the one time of the year where almost positively wasn't born. Um, so we don't, you know, you, every now and then you get some, uh, if, if you really hang out on internet comment boards and, and YouTube comment sections, you're, you're just asking for, for, you know, you're just asking to hit your head against the wall because it's not a lot of fun. Um, most of them are just kids <laughs> that, are, that are on the computer too long and, and, and they're, you know, some of them are just professional trolls and they'll just go on there just to see how many fights they can start, how many people they can make mad. And every now and then there's somebody that thinks they, they came up with this great revelation that's going to shake all of Christianity and they go, ha ha, do you guys even know Jesus wasn't even born December 25th? And we go, yeah, no one said he was. We, we, don't, we don't think that. Uh, there are different theories. Some say he was born somewhere in the late spring. Some people say he was born in the fall. And uh, I think there's a reason the Bible doesn't straight out tell you when. I think, I think that's an okay thing to not know exactly when Jesus was born. Because our faith is not based on the day that he was born. Our faith is based on the fact that he was born. Thank God for that. We know that December 25th came uh, because there was a pagan holiday called Saturnalia around that time. And it was very much a pagan holiday. It was a terrible holiday. It was a, a holiday of drunkenness and and sexual promiscuity and all sorts of things. And, and part of that celebration was celebrating the uh, winter solstice and uh, the rebirth of the sun god, as they thought. Because as you know, um, it falls around, it's now December 21st, but uh, that would fall around the, the time, the shortest day of the year. And after that day, the days get longer. So to them, that's the rebirth of the sun god, the, the, the triumph of the sun god. Um, and so there was a, a pagan celebration in the Roman Empire that was, that was just... Uh, just straight out debauchery. It wasn't good at all. And there were believers that refused to celebrate. Now, you might have some people tell you that this was Christians kind of working that, that holiday with their holiday, but the truth was this was a protest. The Christians and the believers stood against that holiday, and they chose instead to celebrate the birth of their king. Now, uh, when, the emperor, when it finally became cool in the empire to be Christian, the, uh, one of the emperors in the Roman Empire said, okay, Let's, uh, let's, let's put these two, let's, let's just turn it officially into Christmas, and it became the Christmas holiday. And at that point, some of those pagans said, well, if we can't beat them, we join them. And that's where a little bit of the mixing came in. But originally, the holiday that we call Christmas were, was, not a, was not an adopting of a pagan holiday, but rather a protest of it and said, we're going to do this instead. We're not participating in darkness, but instead of cursing the darkness, we're going to light a candle. So they chose that time to celebrate the birth of Jesus, knowing that he probably wasn't born at that time, but let's pick a day and celebrate it. So you're not celebrating a birthday like we celebrate a human birthday. You're celebrating the event that changed history forever. The redemption of mankind, the, 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 the story that had been laid out since the, since the beginning of time, it was finally reaching its climax when Jesus, God, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Jesus, the Son, had been part of the three, the Godhead. There's, there's never three gods. There were th this one God and three persons. Now, I, that may not make sense, but... Picture an egg, all right? The egg's got a shell, it's got a white, it's got a yolk. Those are three separate parts. The shell never becomes the yolk. The shell never becomes the white. They're three separate parts, and yet they're one. And that three, those three parts all are called an egg. Even if you separate them, it's still egg, right? So even when you separate Jesus from the Father, when Jesus came to the earth, he said, I and the Father are one. But even when he was on the earth and he was obeying the Father's will, he's God. The Father's God, the Holy Spirit's God. Now, we don't need to get too deep into the doctrine of the Trinity, but just so you understand, Jesus didn't just get created at Christmas time. The Scripture says He was from the beginning. He, all things were created through Him, for Him, and by Him. So we understand that, 
that uh, this was not the moment Jesus was created, but it was the moment that the Word became flesh. This was the first moment that, that God took on humanity, took on skin, bones, flesh, blood, and became one of us. And that is a huge thing. It's an important thing. In the book of Luke, we're told the story um, all the way from the uh, prophecy about John the Baptist's birth to the prophecy about Jesus' birth and, and, and the birth of both of those people. But in Luke chapter uh, 2, we're going to talk about just a real famous story. I'm not going to take a lot of your time this morning. But a story that you know well, some of those stories that we know well are the ones we need to hear the most because often we've heard them so many times they've lost their, their reality to us, they've lost their power to us because they just become another story. But this is, as I said on Wednesday, as I said on Sunday before, we've got to remember that these were real people, real people in, a, in, in real uh, life situations and in, in, in real mud and dirt. These are real people having to deal with this. We, we sometimes gloss over these stories because we've read them in our, in our Bible storybooks and, uh, you know, as kids. And then you grow up and you read it in the Word and you hear it so many times that these people become larger than life. And we just imagine that all their life they knew this was going to happen. But Mary had no idea this was happen- going to happen to her until the angel showed up. Joseph certainly had no idea. None of these people expected to be part of this great story. And they probably didn't think they were prepared for it, but they were. In Luke chapter 2, we uh, come upon the birth of Jesus, but I want to start in verse 8. Jesus has been laid in a manger, which is a feeding trough uh, for animals. Now, uh, we talked about this last year, but uh, some of our stories of uh, the stable and things like that might might not be exactly as accurate as we thought they were. When you have your little baby nativity scene and, and you, you have it all set up, it may not be as accurate as you'd like it to be. Uh, I recommend a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Uh, it's a wonderful, interesting book. Um, and, and in that book, it explains how in, in many houses in that part of the world, and especially in, in, in places like Bethlehem, they'd have a house where, where people lived, and then in the back, uh, you know, that house might be built into a cave, might be built into, you know, um, might, might be built into the side of the rock. It might be standing on its own. Uh, but in the back of that house, there'd be a place for the animals. And uh, it, it was very much kind of unfinished, not, not fancy at all. It was a place where animals lived. Um, the reason is, is because, you know, you'd, you'd, some of those animals wouldn't be safe. You'd bring them in. And, uh, you know, if you weren't a professional farmer, you know, if you had sheep, the shepherds kept the sheep in the fields. But if you just had a couple of oxen or something like that, there was a place inside that you could take them. And so um, when we read this, uh, we read that there was no room at the end. And sometimes we picture like uh, the travel lodge or something with a no vacancy sign. But Bethlehem probably didn't have any, any hotels or motels. <laughs> Bethlehem, when, when we see that word in, it can also be a, a dwelling place. Um, and many of these times, uh, you know, Joseph is going to his, his hometown, really, his, the place of his relatives. There would have been a lot of places where he could have stayed, but none of them had room because they were arriving so late, I assume. Nobody had room, and so he shows up, and the best they can do is put them with the animals. That's where Jesus is born, amongst the animals. Now, you know that God, who orchestrated all of this, do you know, God, Caesar might have thought, Caesar Augustus might have thought that he was the one that came up with the idea of the census, but, in the, but God had prophesied from, from hundreds of years before that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And so God brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Don't you think if God did that, that God could have arranged for, for a nice palace for them to be born in? But our Lord was born in a stable for a reason. He was born amongst those because the first people that we're about to read about that came and heard the gospel and got to see the baby were not kings, were not, were not uh, the rich people. The rich people did come. You had the, the wise men from the east that came. But the first people to get the preview of, the, of this great son of God, of this Messiah, were the shepherds. And there's a great story there, if we'll read it, in Luke 2, chapter eight or verse 8. 
It says, and in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. So an angel standing before you is already freaky, but an angel suddenly standing before you, suddenly, when an angel does suddenly, they do it for real. Or suddenly, you know, if you've ever seen uh, kids put on a, a Christmas production or something, their version of suddenly might be running across the stage at top speed uh, while the lights are down and then they're there. But an angel just shows up. And you know that every time you read about these angels in the Old and New Testament, they always have to say, don't be afraid. That's not a coincidence. That's just not their favorite thing to say. There's a reason they have to say that every time. Something about them is scary to look at. These angels, they suddenly stand. I mean, come on. If you had Pee Wee Herman suddenly standing before you, you'd be afraid, let alone a mighty man. Uh, You know, I don't know how big they are. I don't know if they had wings or what, but standing before them. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold. In other words, look. For behold, I bring you good good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. There are three things that are so amazing in that statement. I bring you good news. This good news will bring great joy. And this good news, which brings great joy, is for all the people. Praise God. And that fact is hammered in by the fact that he showed up first to these poor shepherds in the field. Not to the, not to the big shots in town, Not to the people, not even to the religious leaders, but to a group of shepherds who are obviously have their hearts seeking God because these guys listened to what the angel said and they rejoiced in it. Whereas when others heard the good news, they either felt threatened or they didn't believe. When the wise men came sometime later, quite sometime later, and and said to Herod, where is this king that's to be born? Herod sent for religious leaders and he said, tell tell me where the king's supposed to be born. The religious leaders, the scribes, they said he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And I've said this so many times, but forgive me, I'll say it again. I mean, if you were one of those scribes, wouldn't you have said, why do you ask? Wouldn't you have said, hey, those guys are going to see if there's a king born in Bethlehem? Those guys are going to see if the Messiah has been born? Maybe we should tag along. But those scribes had gotten so into their heads that they knew all the facts about the Messiah, but they never expected the Messiah, so they don't show up. So they don't, they don't go seeking him. But these shepherds, they do. It says, I bring you good, good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. In verse 11, it says this. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. A Savior. We say the word Savior so much, we forget what that really means. But what is the root word of Savior? Save. Think of it this way. I, I, I send you a rescuer. I send you someone that's going to rescue you. That's going to save you. This day, there's been born for you a Savior. Who is Christ? In other words, who is the Messiah? The Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, all right, enough with these suddenlies, guys. Because one angel freaked him out. But suddenly he's got a band. It says, suddenly, and suddenly the, with the, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. We have these wonderful old translations. and The New American Standard that I'm reading out of today is not an old translation. But still, they use the word host. And for us, that has no real meaning anymore. But the word host simply means an army. An army. These angels weren't part of a choir. I'm sure they could sing. But these angels' primary purpose was to fight. So they show up in front of you. Sometimes, I mean, we, we, we've, we've changed the, the version of angels. You know, I used to work in a Christian bookstore. And, uh, you know, I worked with people that believed in the, the real biblical angels. And yet, the, the, um, the, the angels that you see on, on the market, the angels that, you, that everybody wants to order, 
are, are the wimpiest things in the world. And, and quite frankly, if they're fighting for me, I don't know if I'm too confident because, uh, you know, those cherry bums don't really have much going for them. We want somebody that'll, that'll win the battle, not just uh, tickle you friendly. And these guys were just, uh, they were an army, a multitude. Do you know how much a multitude is? I don't either. It's a lot. A multitude of the heavenly army showed up in front of these shepherds in their fields. It's a good thing that guy said, don't be afraid. But they were praising God, and they were saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. I would be very comfortable, I'd be very happy, I should say, when a big army of giant angels, that I know one of them could whip me and all my friends, and yet they've got a multitude of them. I'd be very happy that they're using words like peace. That'd be a good word for me. That'd be a key word for me. Peace, thank you. With whom he is pleased, I sure hope you mean me. Really, I'm, I'm hoping you're meaning me right now. And they did. I want I to just focus on something for a moment. I want to focus on what those ange- that, that first angel said. Good news, great joy for all the people. You know, we get in this, this um, place where we're, we're part of a, a nation that, that was founded on, on, on Christian ideals. And all you need to, to do to back up that theory is to go to Ottawa and look at, the, look at the parliament buildings, look at the scriptures engraved on them. And yet we, we're not that way anymore. We've become a pluralistic, secular society for the most part. The reason we've become secular is because we were pluralistic, and, and so you can't be all religions at once, so the easiest thing is to say no religion. So we get into this place where every time Christmas rolls around, we feel embattled because somebody in another place is removing a nativity scene, and we figure like we're, we're under siege, we're at, we're at war. But I want you to know that this message that we have is not a protest message. It's not an argument. It's good news of great joy for all the people. And we can get so caught up in whether or not City Hall has a nativity scene that we forget that we're the ones that are meant to proclaim good news of great joy for all the people. Do I want City Hall to have a nativity scene? Yeah, of course I do. But even if they don't, it's not their job to proclaim the good news. It's mine. It's not the government's job to tell people about Jesus. If the government does, I'm going to cheer them on. But it's my job to do it. Uh, We're the believers. And we've got good news. We are not the Christmas police that snap at somebody who says happy holidays. If they don't know Jesus, why do you treat them as if they do? We're surrounded by people that don't know that this is good news. All they think is they're going to get in trouble because they called it the wrong thing. It's good news that we have here. God came and rescued us. I mean, that's so good. I mean, whether or not you decorated right, whether or not you called it the right thing, let me tell you what the good news is. Because we are surrounded by people that barely know the story. They don't know what it's about. They have no clue. And instead of being depressed about that, think about this. When you have good news and you just want to share it with somebody, what do you, when, when you come upon a group of people that don't know this, this amazing story that you've been told and you can't wait to share it, and you come upon a group of people that don't know that story, aren't you happy that you can tell them? Aren't you bursting at the seams to tell them? That's where we are right now. You're surrounded by a group of people that don't know this is good news. They think it's a cultural holiday. They think it's a tradition. But I'm telling you, it's not a tradition. It's not about, it's not about a certain period of the year. It's about the fact that God became flesh and rescued us from death. Praise God. Now that's something to get excited about. Thank God. I will, I will not apologize for saying Merry Christmas. I don't need to. 
I don't know, I'm not going to snap at somebody for saying something different. But I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell everybody I can. Merry Christmas. And if they ask why I said that, or if you have the opportunity, tell them something about the good news. Because honestly, honestly, guys, when was the last time you corrected somebody and they, they, they called it the wrong thing and they fell on their knees and said, what must I do to be saved? Is that happening? Is that a real thing? Season's greetings. It's not season's greetings. It's Merry Christmas. It's about Jesus. Oh, 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 man, I, I'm so wrong. You know, lead me to the Lord. Lead me to the Lord. Show me the cross. That's not happening. Because you've no longer presented it as good news. You've become the Christmas police. But you're going to correct everybody's wrongness. But this is a great message. It's to proclaim good news. Get back into the mode that the angels were in. Let's glorify God. Thank God we got an opportunity to do that. You've got a story people need to hear. You've got good news people need to share. Don't you hate? Not hate is the wrong word. I'm going to take that back. Isn't it annoying? Women, when you first get pregnant with your first child and somebody tells everybody before you get a chance to? (laughs) (laughs) Naomi. It's going to happen because people are happy for you. It happens. It's always going to happen. But, but what, what do you want to do? You want to be the one. You can't wait to see the look on their face when you tell them. Thank God we should get excited. I'm not saying get excited that, that there's a world that's lost. No, no, no. I mean, you need to, you need to have a heart that burns for them. There, there needs to be a grieving at times for those that are dying. But at the same time, a joy that you're here to tell them something. I've got good news for you of great joy for all people. There's not a group of people, there's not a section of society that it is not qualified to hear this message and be changed by it. And I know we're surrounded by a culture of, that's turned a season into a commercial season. We've created a character that doesn't make people feel bad about getting wasted at a holiday party when you're singing songs about Santa or sleigh bells it's not very convicting when you're uh, looking at that girl across the room that's not your wife and, and getting, getting all drunk and, and acting like you shouldn't. It's not all convicting to hear a song about Santa, but I bet if they were singing Oh Holy Night, you, you might be a little uncomfortable with that. So we've created a culture which doesn't make us feel uncomfortable anymore. We've created a culture which, you know, it's kind of hard to get greedy and to, uh, you know, uh, storm the gates at Black Friday while, oh, come all you faithful is playing. Because we know that that's probably not the attitude that we should have. But you're singing a song about Santa. You're singing a song about, about winter. That can fly, right? Santa was created. Now, we know there was a real St. Nicholas. But Santa was created to sell stuff. The modern Santa that we know. The modern Santa that you see, that fat guy with the red suit and the white beard. He was created by Coca-Cola. He's, I mean, seriously, Coca-Cola invented that version of Santa. There had been people talking about a Santa character for, for many years before that, but they created the modern, sellable Santa. He is there for one reason. He's there to sell you things. He's there to ask, get your kids asking for more things so that you have to buy more things. He's there to put on all the, on all the products at one time so you think, oh, it's Christmas, I need to buy more. That's what he's there for. But don't be intimidated by that chubby old man. Instead, remember what this is about. It's so easy to get distracted by what's going on. We've got the the real message here. And you know what? Instead of shaking your fist at what's wrong with the holiday, why don't you give people a pure dose of the real thing? Give them a pure dose. I mean, I'm, I'm all in favor of returning to a place of purity with this and saying, let's make this all about Jesus. You want to give gifts? Keep giving gifts. Give gifts because he gave the gift. Don't buy into the greed. Don't buy into the commercialism. You want to give your kids gift? Praise God. I believe that's a godly characteristic. If you want to instead take your kids shopping for another family, that's cool too. Do whatever the Lord tells you to do. Don't feel guilty about that. But at the same time, let's make it about what it is. It's about God rescuing us. Now, this great joy, we see it again in Acts chapter 8. 
In fact, let's, let's look there for a moment. Do you remember what Jesus said right, before, right in the beginning of Acts, right before he went up to be with the Father? He said, this gospel will be preached from in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then to the ends of the earth, right? They made a little mistake there, and they stopped at Jerusalem. And it wasn't until Saul of Tarsus started persecuting the church and leading a great persecution that the church scattered and began to remember exactly what they were supposed to do, and they started to go preach to other groups of people. One of the first groups that got hit was Samaria. There was a man named Philip who wasn't a, wasn't a professional preacher by any means. Philip was picked as a deacon. And deacons in the early church were to make sure that all the poor people were fed fairly. That was their first, re- their first reason for being, was that the church was feeding those that didn't have anything. And the Greek Jews were being overlooked. So the apostles said, listen, we shouldn't be focusing on waiting tables. We need to devote ourselves to the word and prayer. So let's pick from among yourselves men of faith, full of the Spirit, that will be able to administer this work, that God will have grace on them to make sure that everybody's fed fairly. Philip was one of those guys. Philip was not called as a preacher. He was called as, in many ways, an administrator to make sure that uh, the administration of the church was done right. But the man was full of faith, and he was full of the Spirit. When the church spread out, Philip found himself going to Samaria. Now, the Samaritans, as you might know, I mean, you might think, if if you weren't raised in church, you might always be puzzled by the, the, the term good Samaritan. Because you'd say, you know, why is it so shocking that a Samaritan would be good? But Jesus was telling the parable of the good Samaritan to a group of Jews that couldn't imagine that Samaritans could ever be good. Now, there was some wrong racism and stuff like that going on, but there also the fact that the Samaritans had a really messed up view of religion. They had mixed Judaism with paganism. You can go back to the book of Kings, the books of Kings, and find out the beginnings of that, of the people that settled in Samaria that were transplanted by other nations and they worshiped other gods. And over time, as Jewish exiles would leave uh, uh, Judea, they'd end up in Samaria. And uh, so they, 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 you know, had kids, and, and these people kind of took on some of the Jewish rituals, but at the same time kept some of the pagan ideas. So when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman, and he talks to her, she says, you guys worship God at that mountain, but we worship at this mountain. And Jesus says to her, he basically tells her she's wrong, but says there'll be a day when the Lord will find those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So the Samaritans were the cult at the time. And Philip comes to preach to these guys. Now the Samaritans believed that they worshipped the same God that the Jews did, but they were really mistaken. Philip could have come to them and spent all of his time correcting what they did wrong. I'm sure he did have to correct what they did wrong at some point, but that wasn't the initial message. He didn't come and say, Samaritans, you know what? You, you, just, you just need somebody to come and fix you guys because you're so messed up. I mean, everything you've been doing, all your feasts, all your celebrations, you're so far off that, that we're going to need to gather a group of you together and just drill it into you how wrong you are, and we're going to try to fix it from the ground up. Instead, Philip comes. He doesn't try to fix their errors. He comes and he preaches Jesus. The errors will get fixed. Don't worry about that. But he comes first to preach Jesus in Acts chapter 8. Watch this. Verse 4. Therefore those who've been scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he began proclaiming. That's an important word. Proclaiming. Do you know what proclaiming means? It just simply means to speak out loud, to, to get up and tell people about something. Like a, like a town herald telling about a new decree or, you know, somebody on the news telling you about some, some news that's coming up. This is proclaiming. And he says he proclaimed Christ to them. That's what he preached to them. Now, you know, they didn't have uh, churches that he could come and be the special guest speaker. They didn't have, you know, a, a nice little meeting space that they could come. He just came and started preaching wherever they would listen. In the public square, 
in the marketplace, wherever they would listen, he just started telling them about Jesus. Here's what happened. And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. We heard a story of that today. Amen. That's cool. Many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was much rejoicing in the city. The King James says it this way, there was great joy in the city. Great joy in the city. That's what the gospel does. When it's preached in the power of God with the signs and wonders that are meant to follow it, when it's proclaimed as the good news, there is great joy that follows it. As the angel said, we bring good news. The word gospel means Good news. We bring good news, which brings great joy for all people. Now, he didn't say it'll bring great joy to, to every person. He says it brings great joy, and it is for all the people. You know, there are some that will hear the gospel and not get happy about it. That's not your problem. Romans 10. says this in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's good news, isn't it? For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness... And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Isn't that good news? Abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? And how shall, they not, how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, we've been so submerged and, and immersed in a culture that we think knows all about Jesus. Because we come out of a culture that was founded on some of these principles, we assume that they're still there, and we know that people know who Jesus is, and so we're shocked we're shocked when they don't call upon his name. But the reason they don't call upon his name is because they think they know about him, but they don't. Because, not because they're stupid, not because they're just rebellious, but because no one's preached to them. You say, oh, sure, sure, they hear about Jesus all the time. They're always hearing about Jesus. You can't live in Lloydminster and not know about Jesus. Maybe they know about him. But if had, they had the good news proclaimed to them, have they, they had the gospel preached to them, some of them have. But I know several people that once you get in a conversation, you realize they've got no clue what the gospel really is. They might know who Jesus is. They might have an idea who Christians are. They're aware of the churches. But of, of Jesus becoming a human for them, taking on sin, their sin on the cross, bearing their disease, not only dying but rising from the grave, in victory. These are concepts they might be vaguely familiar with, but the gospel is not something you learn in a book. The gospel is something to be proclaimed. It's not an argument. It's a proclamation. It's not a, I mean, it's, it's not something that you can just assume everybody knows. It's something that's got to be proclaimed. Here's what it says. How will they believe in him who they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher. Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Now listen to this. However, they did not all hear, heed the good news. 
So remember the angel said, this is good news, which is great joy for all the people. Just because it's for everybody, that God is not a respecter of persons. He, he gives the good news to all. He opens his hand to all. But just because it's for everybody doesn't mean everybody will receive it. it says they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they've never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And then he begins to talk about Israel. But let's stop for a minute and just talk about this. This wonderful good news you've been given. You've been given an open door at this season. There's a lot wrong at the season. There's a lot right at the season. But you've been given an open door where people are asking the right questions. They're beginning to think about things they haven't thought about before. But how will they believe if there's not a preacher? How will they believe if no one's there to proclaim it? You're not there to argue them into the faith. Where if they can be argued in, they can be argued out. You are there to let the Holy Spirit work through you to minister grace to the hearer, to minister good news to those that will believe it. The Bible says we are the scent of death to those that are perishing. We are the scent of life. We are, the, we are the fragrance of Christ to God. But to those that are perishing, we smell like death. Which means there are those that will reject it. There are those that hear the message and don't like it because they've rejected. They may not like you because you're the one that proclaimed it. But that's not your problem. Jesus said if they hated me, they'll hate you. But go, I send you out, he said, as sheep among wolves. Be innocent as doves and wise as serpents. It's a time of proclamation. If our gospel does not bring good new, of great joy when it's preached, it might not be the gospel we're preaching. It doesn't mean it will bring great joy to everyone. When the gospel was preached in the book of Acts, some people tore their hair out. Some people tried to kill the guys that were preaching it. But I'm telling you, it is the good news that Lloyd Minster needs. It's the gospel they need. It will bring great joy to our city like it brought to Samaria. It's just got to be preached with joy, with power, signs and wonders following. That's how God told us to preach it. We're going to preach it that way. This is not a season of getting, feeling all embattled and getting in your trenches and saying there's a war on Christmas. Can I tell you about the war on Christmas? We find it in the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, the dragon who symbolizes Satan attempted to kill the baby. And he lost that little battle. The war on Christmas is over. The war on Christmas is over. It's already been won. We have a Savior that's conquered. He not only made it through childhood, but he made it to adulthood, preached the message of the gospel, lived it out, bore our sin, defeated death, hell, and the grave, holds the keys to hell, and is risen forevermore. There's not a war on Christmas that hasn't already been won. So let's stop acting like victims and be the victors we are and preach the good news. And stop asking your government to preach it for you. How will they preach what the people don't believe? A government represents people. You know your problem when the government acts like a secular government? It's because they represent a secular people. Do you know what the answer to that is? Preach the gospel. People will get saved. They'll elect people that will, that will be righteous. Does it mean you don't pray for those? No, we pray for those in authority. The scripture teaches us that. We pray for righteousness to rule. We pray for justice. Yet we somehow think that if the government passes a law that makes everybody have to bow down and say Jesus is Lord, that they'll do it. But that's not true. Without faith, how can a man be saved? You could pass a law and make everybody come to church on Christmas. And it wouldn't get them saved. 
You could pass a law and make everybody have a nativity scene in their yard. And what good would it do them except to harden their heart against something? What they need is the gospel. You want the government to change? We live in a democracy. Change the people. Let the hearts of the people change. And the hearts of the government will change. The hearts of the people will change when they hear the wonderful good news of the gospel. Thank God. We are at war, but our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. And that battle, we've been more than equipped to win. Thank God. You know, Jared, I'd love to see our city hall put up a nativity scene. But if they don't, there should be enough of us in this city that can tell people about Jesus that nobody in this city doesn't know the story. Don't get so discouraged when the greeter at Walmart says happy holidays. It's not his job to preach the gospel. It's yours. Praise God. Take that as an honor. Take that as an honor. We've got good news of great joy for everybody. That means there's not a race left out. There's not a class left out. There's not a group of people we can't talk to. There's not a group of people that Jesus doesn't love. There's not a group of people he can't touch with that message. There may be a great group of people that reject the message, but there'll be, there'll be many of them that believe it. But how can they believe if they haven't heard? How will they hear if no one's preached it to them? As you know, preaching is more than just what you say. It's what you do. You tell somebody about Jesus... You tell your waitress about Jesus and you don't tip them? You've told them one thing and demonstrated another. You tell your, your, your checkout lady at the grocery store about Jesus and then you, 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 you just, you're very rude to the person that's bagging your groceries. You, I mean, you're, you're shoving in front of people in line. You've said one thing and preached another with your actions. Live the gospel. Wear it like a coat. Let it be part of you. And the world will see Jesus. And I want to read you the rest as we close. I want to read you the result of the shepherd's trip to Bethlehem. The result says in verse 15, it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Because when the gospel is proclaimed as it's meant to be proclaimed, it causes curiosity in people. It causes them to want to see something. They came in haste, and that means they ran, they hurried. They came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they'd seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Do you notice what the shepherds did? They went, they saw the baby, and then they left. And they told everybody they ran into about what had happened. And people wondered at it. And wonder can go two directions. Wonder can go into a, 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 a direction of awe and reverence and worship, but it can also go into a, a direction of disbelief. I'm sure they had people going each way, but it didn't matter to the shepherds. They got front row tickets to the greatest show on earth, and they went and told everybody they knew about it. When you meet Jesus, and you can all attest to this, when you meet Jesus, you want to tell everybody. And some of you, that's who you were. You remember those days when you were so excited, there wasn't anybody that you didn't tell about Jesus. But over time... Over time, it got to be something you did less and less. Over time, it began to be something you just hoped other people would do. But I want you to re be restored to that joy of your salvation so that there's a fire and a joy for the gospel in you. The more you believe the gospel, the more it causes joy to be in you, the more contagious that joy will be. If when you hear this story, your heart doesn't leap, I challenge you to read it again as if you've never read it before. Because what you need is that same joy that you first had. So that when you spread this, it's contagious because it does bring joy. And the Holy Spirit's so good that when you proclaim the word, 
He's there to minister to those that you speak to, to say, see that that word does not return to him void. doesn't return to him without doing something. When a seed is planted, sometimes it's planted on different types of soil, but there will be many seeds that grow up to be something and bear fruit. Expect that in your life. Amen? Stand up with me. Good news for all of us. Great joy in our city. Hey, I want to, I mean, come on. Do you think that Samaria is somehow better than Lloydminster? Do you think, there, is there any reason why there can be great joy in Samaria and not great joy in Lloydminster? Come on, and one guy preaching could cause that. How many believers are in, in Lloydminster? I'm talking about real believers. More than you can think of right now. That's enough. That's enough to preach it. You know, instead of just turning it into some tradition, let's get back to what it really is. And if you, I mean, if you want to tell somebody in July about the birth of Jesus, that's completely appropriate. A door has been opened right now. Let's walk to it. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your good news, for your gospel, which brought peace, which brought joy, which brought salvation to us. For you said today is the acceptable day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not yesterday, but it is today. Today is the day of rescuing. Today is the day of deliverance. Our deliverance has come. Our Messiah has come. Emmanuel has come. What you've been seeking, what you've been searching for, what you've been longing for is here. Jesus said, those that seek will find. Those that knock, the door will be open. Those that ask will receive. And there are those that are in this room today. And you've been seeking and you've been seeking. I want you to know what you've been seeking is not out of reach. But seek and you will find. So many things people seek, they don't even know what they're seeking. What they're seeking is something that's been implanted in their very DNA, implanted in their spirit. The Bible says he set eternity in our hearts. There is a place inside of you that longs for a God that created you. There is a place inside of you that longs for that connection to your creator that you were designed to have. And without it, you feel empty and without it, you attempt to fill it with all these other things. But I want you to know that this is what you were created for. And there will always be a gap in your life until that is filled. What you've been seeking is here. If there's anybody, I, you know, I, I said that to anybody that's seeking. That might have been a believer. But if there's any unbelievers in the room today. Now, I, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe you haven't yet giving your life to Jesus. I, I want to be careful how I say unbeliever because at this point you might say, I believe. I believe. But you'd like to give your heart to Jesus. You'd like to lay your life down and give your life to him. He'll give you his life. You're tired of living your own life and it's time to surrender to him. He said, all that shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank God. Is there anybody here tonight, today, this morning, <laughs> that would like to receive Jesus and you never have? Would you raise your hand if there's anybody? Thank God. He's so good. The news is good. The news is good. Praise God. All right. Then we're, we're a room full of believers, all right? So that means we need to find some people that don't know yet. And give them some good news. You know why so many of you are afraid to tell people about Jesus? You haven't been convinced yourself it's such good news. You need to know it's good news. It really is good news. Some of you believe it's good news, but you're more afraid of people than you are of God. That's a problem. People are not anything worth being afraid of. Don't be afraid of people. The Bible says fear of man is a snare. Whose approval do you prefer? Do you, uh, you prefer the approval of a bunch of strangers in the grocery store? Or do you, prove, uh, do, you, do, you, 
desire the approval of God. I desire His approval more than the approval of men. He's the one I'm looking for. Thank God. Why don't we just take a moment? Because I, I was talking about that joy. You know, when you, shed, you share the gospel out of duty, that's exactly what it feels like to the person listening. You ever notice that? When you're doing it because you have to do it, that's the way they feel listening to you. When you have joy that Jesus saved your life, rescued you from death, healed your body, healed your life, when you have joy about that, it's contagious. It connects with people. And if you say today, and you're just honest, and you say that joy isn't there like it used to be, it's still there, but it's not like it used to be, and I want it even more than it used to be, then I don't want you to have to go home without that. So if there's anybody left that feels that way, come on up, let's pray together. Let's just let God fill us with joy, amen? The joy, the oil of gladness overflowing, able to save us from the dreariness and the stodginess of tradition and bring us back to a place of living relationship, living and, and life-giving. This is the thing. The gospel is life-giving. It's a well of life. It's overflowing. It brings life. It not only brings life to you, it brings life to all that hear it. It brings all life to all that are around you. There is a contagious joy. There is a contagious joy that's meant for you. If the angels in heaven could proclaim the good news with such joy, even though the good news wasn't for them, how much more those that have been redeemed? Because the scripture says that you have something that angels long to look into. We've received something that angels only wish they had. And they proclaimed it with joy. How much more could you proclaim it with joy? Thank God. Now you need to stop beating yourself up for not being joyful. That doesn't work. Beating yourself up and saying, why don't I have more joy? That doesn't tend to bring you more joy. But the scripture says, ask and you will receive Ask, and you will receive. You want it? Ask for it. Praise God. Do you know what I just read? Sometimes we, we, we're so afraid of being fake that we uh, forget that sometimes we do have a will. I don't want you to be fake. No fake smiles, but, but do you know what? I just read that when you smile, even when it's not a natural smile, you just choose to smile, that it triggers something and your brain sends the same endorphins that it would if you were genuinely happy. That it can kind of start a chain reaction and you find the joy you were actually wanting. Sometimes you just actually got to say, okay, this is worth being joyful about. I am going to smile for a reason. Don't go around with a fake smile. Make it a real one. But you can choose to smile. Some of us just feel like we got to, all of a sudden, for the joy of the Lord to come upon us, we need to fall into a trance. Our eyes need to roll back into the back of our head. And we're just zombie joyful people. But the truth is that God put inside you a spirit that has the ability, by your will, to say, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. David looked into his soul and he said, soul, why are you so downcast within me? <laughs> he, he's, he recognized it wasn't appropriate, and he asked his soul, Hey, why are you downcast within me? You're going to, worst, you're going to rejoice. You're going to get happy. Sometimes you just got to do that. Don't get mad. But say, you got a reason to be joyful. Some of you just think it's too crazy to talk to yourself like that. That's a little too schizophrenic. But it is biblical. Why are you downcast within me, O oh my soul? I will rejoice in the Lord. Thank God. Let's lift our hands to heaven. We rejoice in you, Jesus. We've got good news. Good news has been given to us. 
great news of great joy for all the people. And those people include us. And we rejoice in you, Jesus. Thank you for dying. Thank you for coming to earth and rescuing us. Now fill us again with the joy of our first love. Restore in us the joy of our salvation. The joy of your salvation. That we would rejoice in the Lord. That our spirits would be lifted. That our countenance would be lifted. That our eyes would lift to heaven and say, where does my help come from? Bring us back to that place of pure childlike wonder that heaven would come down to earth and rescue someone like us. What joy, what joy, what joy is there for those that trust in the Lord. Oh, thank God. Great joy in our city. Great joy in our church. Restore to us the joy of our salvation, of your salvation. Thank God we receive it from you right now. I want to remind you of something. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness. That means there is gladness for you that comes from heaven. There is gladness from you that comes from the Father that you can't make up, that you can't work up. It is an anointing from God. It's not a physical anointing. It's a spiritual anointing. So you right now lift your hands and let Him anoint you with the oil of gladness. Let it flow down from the top of your head to the bottoms of your feet. The oil of gladness above the brethren. Jesus, you're good. You're good. You're just that good. You're just that good. You're just that good. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Great joy in the city. Great joy in the city. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Let's receive it in Jesus' name. I'm going to put something on you. Just There's no individual power in this that's not already in the Holy Spirit. But just as a symbol of the anointing of joy, the oil of gladness, I'm going to stick this on your head so you have something to think about so that you can remember what the Holy Spirit has done for you. He has the anointing on your head. He is the anointing within you that is able to teach you all things. And the oil of gladness is available for all of us. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And receive it in Jesus' name. Receive it in Jesus' name. Receive it in Jesus' name. The oil of gladness. The oil of gladness. The oil of joy and of power that comes only from from him in the name of Jesus. Receive the oil of gladness above your brethren. Oh, thank God. Out of your innermost will flow rivers of living water. Spring up, oh well, within your soul. Spring up, oh well, within you. Oh, thank God. He is restoring. He's restoring and he's renewing. For both of you, he's restoring and he's renewing and he is filling in the cracks and he is healing the broken hearts. Some might tell you all those cracks, they tell a story and all these things. But the Bible says that he heals the broken hearts and he binds up their wounds. And there are wounds that still remain that will be bound up and healed. And I want to remind you that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, when they left the fire, they did not smell of smoke. And there are fires that the Lord has delivered you from and there is still a smell of smoke which is about to lift from you where there'll be no more evidence of the fire but only evidence of the deliverance in Jesus' name. The oil of gladness, the oil of gladness, thank you, Jesus, above your sisters, above your brethren, a contagious oil, a contagious joy in Jesus' name, overwhelming, overflowing, bubbling over, and it breaks walls. Michelle, I see a wall being broken I see walls just kind of getting demolished by that joy. I just see you just plowing through them. There's a, there's a life that's in you. There's a well that's in you that's going to cause you to plow through things that seem unbreakable. But the joy of the Lord is your strength, and He will break through those things with you. You will overcome. You will win. You know that. Thank God. Thank God. Okay, okay, okay.
Some of you need some happy private time too. So stinking dignified. Can't laugh in front of people like we normally laugh. That'll come. But if that's not there yet, get alone and just start laughing. You know how awkward it was? If anybody was ever in a Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen's meetings, anybody ever been in one of his meetings? You know how awkward it was when he'd say, we're all going to laugh. And he'd start going, ho, 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 ha, 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 he, he. And you're like, that's not real laughing. But you know what? It just started to come. That man knew how to work up joy in himself that was contagious. And no matter how smart you try to feel in the audience and dignified and keep yourself together and keep your coat and collar adjusted, pretty soon it hits you too if you'll just let it. So don't be afraid to go home and start to say, well, I'm working up. This is just me. You know what? That's okay. Work it up. Work it up. Thank God. Let it become, and let God do in you what you can't do in yourself. But thank God for his joy. Great joy to our city. May the gospel be preached with power and anointing in Lloydminster. May it be preached without compromise. May it be preached with truth and grace. May it be preached with righteousness and mercy. May it be preached in love, not the love that the world knows, but the love that God has shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for it.